Uh, There are two readings tonight. The first one is from Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 to 4, uh, page 727 in the Church Bible. And the second one is uh, Luke chapter 3, verses 21 to 23, and after skipping a very long list of names, verse 38. Okay, so Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 to 4. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out, or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. And now Luke uh, chapter 3, verses 21 to 23 and 38. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Amen. Maybe you'd like to turn back to that passage from uh, Luke 3. I don't know how many of you have ever seen a TV series, Who Do You Think You Are? It um, taps into the current interests in family trees, tracing back our ancestry. And uh, various celebrities are invited to take part, not quite knowing what uh, the um, researchers will unearth. For some, like uh, Michael Parkinson, apparently the results were so dull that they canned the, that particular programme. But for others, they unearth quite startling revelations. Matthew Pinson, for example, who apparently is related to Edward I. They trace it all the way back. For others, quite scandalous uh, revelations that can be quite emotional. Bruce Forsyth, for example, who discovered that his grandfather was a, a bigamist who had a family in the UK and the US. Jeremy Paxman was uh, somebody who was quite dismissive when it came to doing the programme. He, he said this, he said, I've always thought you have to live life looking forwards and not backwards. I've no interest at all who my ancestors are. And little did he know what was about to be unearthed from his family background. Why are so many people interested in their family background? I think in many ways it's because it helps us understand who we are. People want to know who they are, who is their identity, what has made them who they are. For Bruce Forsyth, Somebody himself has six children from three marriages. Discovering the truth about his grandfather, he saw the parallels in his own life and started to ask himself, you know, could these things be inherited? We are intrigued about our identity. Who do you think you are? Well, in the passage we're looking at this evening, we're presented with a family tree of Jesus Christ. Where did he come from? Who do you think he is? We're in the middle of a sermon series in the, these early chapters of uh, Luke's Gospel. And what has, I think, come through so far is that um, he is both man and God. And the angel, we might uh, flick back to chapter 1, when the angel 
uh, appears to Mary back in verse 32 of chapter 1 and tells that she will give birth to Jesus. This is what uh, she says in verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. But when he's actually born, in chapter 2, verse 7, we're told that Mary wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Not exactly the sort of birth you'd expect for a great king being stuck in an animal's feeding trough. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the passage at the end of chapter 2 where Jesus' earthly parents, Joseph and Mary, they lose him. They search everywhere for him and eventually they find him in the temple, and Mary says to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And Jesus replies, Why have you been searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Referring to his heavenly father. We're in the passage this evening, that dual identity of Jesus as man and God becomes even more clear. As, but also we're going to look at this evening, what are the implications of that, to say Jesus is man and Jesus is God, what, is that really, what does that really mean? Well, first of all, let us look at the fact that Jesus is fully human. What is it in this passage that tells us that he is fully human? Well, uh, have a look at uh, verse 21 of uh, chapter 3. There we're told, when all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. Anyways, he's just one of the crowd, isn't he? All the people being baptised and Jesus was baptised too. He's just another bloke wanting to get baptised. And you may ask, well, why did he get baptised then? If he was really sinless, did he actually need to get baptised in the first place? Did he need to demonstrate that his sins had been washed clean? That he'd uh, risen from death to new life? Did he turn from living life his way to, to living life God's way? Well, no, but he was fully identifying himself with the people. He is one of them. He is fully human. And you've got to ask yourself, if he can get baptised, then who are we to say, well, I don't think it's really for me. You know, I'm a Christian, surely that is enough. If we are a Christian and we haven't been baptised, why is that? Secondly, why is he, uh, what tells us that he's fully human? Well, he grows old. Verse 23 says, Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Human beings grow old. For Christmas, Liz um, did a photo album for her mum with photos of uh, her parents, her grandparents, um, but also her children and her grandchildren, five generations in, in one album. And for our children to look at the, their grandmother um, as a child, as a baby, is quite a, a weird thing. You know, they don't always comprehend how uh, people they think as, as old were ever once the same age as they are. But that is human life, isn't it? We can try the nips and the tucks and everything, the anti-aging cream, but it's not going to stop us aging. We grow old. That is part of humanity. And as God, existing outside of time... Jesus entered the world of humankind. He entered time. He was born as a baby. He's now 30 years old. He's about to start his ministry. He grows old, 30. He had a human father. Verse 23 says he was the son, so it was thought of Joseph. 
get a human father, and before that as a whole ancestry, which um, I was tempted to ask Gary to read out, but um, I thought I would spare him that. <laughs> now, this is where it gets a bit difficult, isn't it? Because um, whilst he was the legally adopted son of Joseph, he wasn't the biological son of Joseph. He'd been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so when you try to trace his ancestry back, it gets a little bit difficult. And uh, there are differences between the genealogy here and the one at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. And part of that is, I think, probably because they're trying to emphasize different points here. Matthew's emphasizing the key points in God's plan of salvation history. Um, he divides it up into three nice chunks of 14 descendants each, starting with Abraham to David, from David to the exile, from exile to the birth of Christ. Abraham, David, both being key figures in salvation history. Key people to whom God made a promise. To Abraham, that uh, through his descendants, God would bless the nations of the world. To David, that through his descendants, there would be a king who would reign forever. The key thing here in Luke that uh, it seems that he's emphasizing, because this genealogy goes all the way back to Adam. All the way back to Adam, which Matthews doesn't. Verse 38 says he was the son of Adam, the son of God. Now, why does he do that? Why does he go all the way back to Adam? We'll answer that in a minute. But first, I'd like to, to actually get you doing a bit of work, get you thinking here. Because if it is so important to Luke here that Jesus is described as being fully human, why is that? Because it's not just from this passage that we see Jesus' humanity. We see him um, eating, sleeping, weeping. All the aspects of humanity. But why does it matter that he was fully human? Would it make any difference, for example, if he was just God, who sort of somehow appeared, taken on the appearance of a human, without really being a human? Just someone, I'd like you to take a couple of minutes just to chat to the person next to you, or twos or threes or whatever. Um, or just think about it on your own, if you like. Why does it matter that Jesus was fully human. Have a think, have a couple of minutes to, to do that. Maybe something which uh, you know is pretty obvious. Maybe something you never really actually thought about. Why does it matter that Jesus was fully human? Okay, time up. Anybody want to um, throw something out? Why does it matter? that Jesus was fully human. Anybody want to make a suggestion? Don't be shy. I know Paddy will if, if nobody else does, but uh, we'll hold him back for, for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> His death means more to us. Do you want to uh, unpack that a little bit, Alexander? What is, in more ways does his death mean more to us? If he's just God, he can't die. Yeah, in some ways. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it was a, it was a real human death. That's right. He was a real human death. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It was a real human death. He was representing mankind as he died. God couldn't die um, a human death. That's right. Take the punishment that Adam was given. Adam was given a punishment as a representative of mankind. If you don't obey God, if you reject God then you'll face the punishment of death. Um, so yes, he, he was a real human, it was a real human death. Anything else? Anybody want to suggest something? Yeah. 
Yes, Jean. It needs to be fully human to identify with us. That's right. He sympathizes with us and our weaknesses. He knows our temptations. Um, he's able to mediate between us and God because he, he knows us. He ex- has experienced that. That's right. Anything else? Yes, Tony. Sam and I were talking, and, and I came to the same point that it's important so we identify. But Sam said as well, it, it's the relational side of it. it he, he had relationships with human beings. Human beings had relationships directly with God, mm-hmm. who could testify for him. So if we hadn't had that, if there weren't people, his disciples, those around him, it wouldn't have been a relational relationship. Yeah, yeah. It's also, I guess, I suppose, that aspect of Jesus being a mediator between God and man, that relationship. Um, as man, he can relate to God um, in a way which um, wouldn't be work if he was just God. Um, he comes between man and God. Mediators, um, what do they do? They represent two sides. Um, they come between them. So, as man, he's representing mankind to God. As God, he's representing God to mankind. These are quite a big things. I've just... Um, summarise them here on the, uh, on the screen here. The first one I think actually we, we didn't pick up on is the fact, first of all, that as man he can fulfil God's original purpose for mankind. What was God's original purpose for mankind? He, he made man to subdue the earth, to rule over the earth under God's reign. Now man failed to live up to that and every, ever since the fall mankind has been unable to live under submission to God. Jesus, as man, was able to fulfil that. He was the only man who has been able to live under full submission to God the Father. He's been fully obedient. He is the second Adam, as he's referred to in 1 Corinthians. Um, He can fulfil God's original purpose for mankind. Secondly, he can be an acceptable substitute for us. Let's just turn to Hebrews um, 2, verse 14. You'll find that on page 1202. This is the point really that Alexandra was bringing, bringing up. If the punishment had to be paid for mankind by somebody, it had to be paid by a human. Let's read from verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, He might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people." God told Adam what the punishment would be if he chose to disobey him. It would be death. Adam was the representative of mankind's sin and the punishment came through him. If somebody was going to take that punishment for the whole of mankind, he had to be a man and die like a man. And thirdly, he can be the one mediator between God and man. 1 Timothy 2 says this, it says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. As part of that mediating involves, as Jean said, sympathising with our experiences, particularly our temptation and suffering. Um, 
It is interceding between us and God. I don't know what comes into your mind when you think of somebody interceding for you, particularly if Jesus is interceding with the Father. It's um, a sense of sometimes we think, well, we sin, we mess up. And sometimes each time Jesus has to go to the Father and say, look, that Neil Turton, he's, he's messed it up again. But, um, you know, just let him off again. Give him one more chance. But it's not quite like that. It's actually Jesus saying to the Father, that Neil Turton's let you down again, but... Because I've already paid the penalty on his behalf, please forgive him. Forgive him based on what I've already done for him. And that is an amazing thing to have a mediator like that, but that mediator needs to be man and God. So Jesus was fully man. But what does this passage also tell us about the fact that fully, Jesus is fully God? Where do we see that here? Well, have a look at verse 21, back in uh, Luke chapter 3. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. As he was praying, heaven was opened. doesn't mean that there was a sudden downpour and everyone got their umbrellas out. No, this means God the Father appeared to the Son. Heaven opened, he saw the Father. And the amazing thing about Jesus' earthly life is that it is bathed in prayer. These key moments in his life, he is praying, he's having communion with his father. And it's at that moment that heaven was opened. And then we have this public anointing, don't we? It says the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And that act demonstrated that here was the Messiah. This was the one they'd been waiting for for so long. And if you want to know the why that demonstrated that, have a turn on to, to the next uh, Gospel, John's Gospel, chapter 1. John's Gospel 1, verse 32. Then John gave this testimony, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him, except that the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. And if that wasn't enough, look at what happened next back in Luke 3. A voice came from heaven, you are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. In some ways, it's a funny thing for God to say to his son, I love you, son. He knows that. He's been with him since the beginning of time. He knows how much God loves him. But these words have tremendous significance because we read earlier from Psalm 2, right at the beginning of the service, that prophecy about the anointed one. And it included these words. It concluded these words. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And for God to repeat them here is to say, you are the anointed one. You're ready to begin your your ministry as the Messiah. And the psalm stresses that even in the midst of human opposition, of human rejection, Jesus is the sovereign king. He's the one who is the Son of God. But what the Father also says contains words from another Old Testament prophecy, the one that Gary read out from Isaiah 42, where he read, Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Further confirmation that Jesus is the chosen one, the Messiah, the one who will come and he will judge the nations. The Father says, I'm pleased with you, I delight in you because you've come to do my will. 
Jesus has been crowned. He's been given authority to rule over his kingdom. don't know how many of you are old enough to remember the coronation of Queen Elizabeth. I won't ask you to put your hands up. She was crowned. She was given responsibility. She was given authority over this country. When we sing the national anthem, we sing God save our gracious queen. Long live our noble queen. Now, I have a confession to make at this point. I missed the queen's Christmas Day speech. But I will ask you, how many of you saw it? Put your hand up if you saw it. Good on you. Now, I must admit, it's not normally a huge priority for me. The turkey, the turkey does tend to take priority on, on Christmas Day. But this year, I was particularly sad to miss it because if you saw it, you would have seen that she gave a gospel message. Let me, if you, if you didn't see it, read from a transcript here of what she said. This is what she said. She said, finding hope in adversity is one of the themes of Christmas. Jesus was born into a world full of fear. The angels came to frighten shepherds with hope in their voices. Fear not, they urge. We bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And she said, although we are capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, she says, neither a philosopher nor a general, important that they are, but a saviour with a power to forgive. Forgiveness lies at the heart of the Christian faith. It can heal broken families, it can restore friendships, it can reconcile divided communities. It is in forgiveness that we feel the power of God's love. And she said in the last verse of this beautiful carol, O little town of Bethlehem, there's a prayer. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. And she finished by saying, it is my prayer that on this Christmas day that we might all find room in our lives for the message of the angels and for the love of God through Christ our Lord. I wish you all a very happy Christmas. What an amazing gospel message, isn't it? Um, and that is why I felt really bad. And it is a confession because I thought having Mrs. family there with us for Christmas, how easy it would have been to sat down together, watched it and said, well, what do you think of that then? I'm not sure that was a bit of digression, really. It was, it was to do with the coronation. <laughs> it was to do with the coronation of Jesus as, as the chosen one. He was crowned. He's been chosen. He's been anointed with the Spirit. He's been given responsibility to establish his kingdom. He's the Son of God. Jesus was fully God. He was fully man. And there were plenty of other passages we could look at to show that he was fully God. But before we ask the question, why does it matter that he was fully man? An equally valid question is, why does it matter that he is fully God? After all, I'm sure many of us have had conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses. And when you speak to them, it doesn't appear that there's much difference in what we believe. It's interesting, in the uh, Republican presidential candidate um, race going on at the moment, one of the candidates is um, Mitt Romney, who's um, a Mormon, member of the uh, full title, The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, they would claim that they are Christians. But if you look into what they believe, they don't believe that Jesus is truly God. He is the one who is the uncreated creator. 
And that is a key difference between us and most of these cults, that they don't believe that Jesus is fully God. Now, what does that matter? I'm not going to ask you to, to break out again. I'll just give you a couple of reasons why that matters. Because only God, first of all, can save humankind. Only God can save us. The whole of Scripture points to the fact that um, it is only by the work of God that we can be saved. Only he can give life to those who are repentant and save them from sin and death. Ephesians 2 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So Jesus had to be fully God to be able to save man, because no creature could ever save mankind. Only somebody who is infinite God could bear the full penalty for all the sins of humankind throughout all the ages. A finite creature would not have been able to do that. Only God can save humankind, and secondly, only God can reveal God. The Bible tells us that we can know something of God from creation, but it is in Jesus that he's fully revealed to us. In John 1.18 it says, No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side, in other words, Jesus Christ, has made him known. Well, as we finish, Jesus was described here in the final verse of chapter 3 as the son of Adam and the son of God. Fully man and fully God. And if you try and take away either of those essential parts of his nature, you destroy the Christian faith. Jesus asked his disciple Peter, he said, who do you people say that I am? And he asked, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you are the Christ. He knew the identity of Jesus Christ, the anointed one. And we are here this evening because we worship the Son of God. And as man, Jesus fulfilled God's original purpose for mankind. He was an acceptable substitute for us. He is a mediator between us and God. And as God, he's the only one who can save us. He's the only one who can reveal God to us. The Father delighted in him. Let us delight in Jesus Christ. Let us worship him.